Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help you get unstuck so you can do what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner-Khan. We live in a time where change happens faster and faster, and we all know there's a lot of stuff that we can do. And it's all about helping people tap into that potential, which means, you know, everyone says, hey, you just got to think differently, but no one ever tells you how to do it. I want to give people the tools on how to do this. Today on episode 547 of Smashing the Plateau, I'm here with UN advisor Neil Sahota. I'm going to ask Neil how consultants can use a framework to help their clients think differently and how they can use the same framework to improve their own business. You can find out more about Neil along with all of our previous episodes at smashingtheplateau.com. Right now, digital marketing is more important than ever to keep your business going. Your clients need to know you are here to help them deal with their challenges. Our friends at SiteHub have many resources to help your audience stay aware of how you can help them. Contact SiteHub today at yoursitehub.com. That's yoursitehub.com. Now let's welcome Neil Sahota. Neil is an IBM master inventor, United Nations AI advisor, author of the book Own the AI Revolution, and chief innovation officer at the University of California. Over his 20-plus year career, Neil worked with enterprises to launch business ventures by creating next-generation products and solutions powered by emerging technology, as well as helping organizations create the culture, community, and ecosystem needed to achieve success, like the UN's AI for Good initiative. Neil also actively pursues social good and volunteers with nonprofits like the Zero Abuse Project to prevent child sexual abuse. Neil, welcome to the show. Great to have you on. Hey, really excited to be here. Thanks for having me, David. Well, Neil, you have a really fascinating career where you have done some remarkable things and been involved in cutting edge ideas, transformations some uh, very well-regarded organizations, as I mentioned in the introduction. What would you say is the most common theme for your work? Basically, David's really just trying to help people think differently, right? Everyone knows that there's probably a better way beyond automation, you know, doing something faster, cheaper, less errors, and a better way of doing it that unlocks more value. It's just how do you figure that out, right? And that's a lot of what I've actually been able to do throughout my career is find those little hidden dots and unlock those opportunities. Why is it so hard for people to think differently? You know, we get into the mindset here, right? You, you get into the weeds and you get used to things. And the longer you're at a place, I hate to say it, you kind of develop a bit of a group think mentality. And it's hard also to fix something that's not necessarily broken. And, you know, to be cliche, you can't see the forest from the trees. You get into that groove and you get into a comfort zone. And as a result, it's really hard to kind of step away and say, wait, wait a second. Is there a different way of doing this? Is it easier for a consultant who is, I guess, technically outside the organization to help the people inside the organization think differently than it is for people who are insiders? Generally, that's been my experience. You know, one of the huge advantages that consultants actually have is they bring the fresh set of eyes, right? Because they can look at things with a different perspective. You know, I've been lucky enough to work with a lot of global Fortune 500 companies. And, you, you know, you look at the C-suite guys you're working with, and most of those guys, they've been there like 25, 30 years. 
And so they're, they're really into this groove and it's hard for them to kind of step back and look at things differently. But when you're a consultant, you're kind of coming in fresh without the history and perhaps without some baggage that you can, you can actually see some of these ideas crystallize more clearly. Yeah. For many of us who do consulting work, myself included, we have clients that sometimes last many years, if not decades. Do we fall into the same trap as consultants that happens with employees where it's harder for us to see things differently because we've had a long time relationship with a client? Yeah, unfortunately we can. If we have a long time relationship and we're doing a lot of work and there's a, a ton of interaction, you kind of fall into that conformity trap where, again, you, you'll wind up falling in the groove. I, and I've unfortunately seen it. I was working with a, one of the largest retailers in the world and there was a couple of consultants that had been working with them for almost 40 years. And you can just see the, the same mindset cycling through them all the time with their client because they just they got into this rhythm and that's not necessarily a bad thing but unfortunately it kind of puts blinders on sometimes and how much value and what you can actually do and i remember when i actually came in and you know they were trying to figure out how to capture the next generation of core customer that you know radically different you know new generation and you know what i was proposing to to do in terms of figuring this out and some of the recommendations i came up with they thought it was initially ludicrous, right? Because like, well, we, we've done this for, you know, X number of years has been super successful. We know what the customer wants. And it's like, pause for a second, professionally tell them, well, do you hear what you said? You know what the customer wants. That's a huge trap, right? That, that says that maybe you're a little too close to the situation. So I think, unfortunately, yeah, if, if you're a consultant with a long-time relationship, you have to be on guard for falling into the same kind of trap. Mm. Okay, so given the fact that you have seen how one is able to think differently and how disruptive ideas can be beneficial, are there some basic steps to being able to do it, whether you're external to the organization or internal to the organization, or frankly, whether you're trying to do it for your own organization as a solopreneur? I think the general steps are the same. I actually taken all my experience and what I've actually been able to do with clients and actually create a framework around it, which I call Tuckbo. And it's Tuckbo stands for think different, understand different, create different, be different, own different. And it's more than just trying to generate that disruptive idea that, that's obviously important. It's how do you actually bring that to fruition? And yeah, you have to design, you have to implement, you have to you know, roll it out, customer engagement. You also have to create buy-in. And whether it's for your own business or you're doing it for a client, you have to establish that buy-in and show people what the WIFM is. And conversely, you have to be able to build the infrastructure so that customers and people will actually do it. Several years ago, I was asked to help Starbucks go back to China, right? Their first foray wasn't exactly successful and they made some very big cultural full pause. And so when I came, when I go back, they engaged me and actually brought you know, my Tuckbo framework into the fold. And one of the biggest actually challenges I had was getting some of the key executives to actually go to China because they actually had never been there. And there was a big mantra within Starbucks about, well, you know, we've built like 5,000 stores. 
we know how to do this. We know how to build stores and stuff. But it's like, but China is a whole different market. You know, cultural and localization aside, they're a tea drinking society. They don't have the same level of disposable income. Your supply chain isn't set up for Starbucks, right? And you have to really think about all these things. And once I was actually able to get some of those executives out there, they realized how different things actually are, how different the market was and the need to have local people on the ground, but also that their traditional model of like, you know, the Italian barista experience wouldn't actually work. And, you know, using my framework, we realized that converting Starbucks into an American experience would be more effective. And, you know, giving people in China the opportunity to say, like, hey, this is your experience saluted of America, as well as targeting young professionals who have, you know, good jobs and a little more disposable income and kind of skewing your menu more towards tea would be more effective. And that's actually what Starbucks wound up doing, building the infrastructure, doing all these other things to actually make this successful. And I mean, today, I think China accounts for something like 18% of the revenue. And, you know, it's actually become a hotbed for Starbucks innovation now where they actually try out new ideas like the roasteries in China first than rather than the United States. Fascinating. So are, are there some basic steps that one can follow in order to begin this process? So th there are. I mean, obviously, the first thing you have to do is figure out an idea. And sometimes the best way to do that is to ask yourself, why are we doing it this way in the first place? And what's changed? And that usually starts with challenging assumptions. Because we unfortunately forget assumptions are assumptions. And we think they're facts. But, you know, I, I love the story of the guy who started Zipcar. Because he came in and said, you know, my car is my most expensive thing. Uh, how much time do I really spend in it? Right? He actually researched it and realized the average American spends about an hour a day in their car. And so he challenged the notion that we have to own cars. He's like, if I'm using it so infrequently, why not just do car rental on demand? Why not starting Zipcar and freaked out the rental car companies, right? It got some traction. But then you get the rideshare companies in, right? You get like the Uber and Lyfts coming in saying like, well, why do you actually even have to drive? People are driving around all the time. What if people just carpooled, right? Carpool on demand. And that's we had right share. And so it's like these things that we think are are the these like facts, hard and true type of things, actually just often assumptions. So if we can delineate that, that's a huge opportunity to find that different idea. Yeah. Trying to challenge those assumptions, especially if you've been doing it a certain way for a while. Again, I would imagine it's um it's hard to really do this on your own. Look, it, it is. I mean, really simply, you know, I hate to say it this way. I've seen it right now where, uh, you know, people got used to text messaging and, you know, typing text messages. And now it's like you can do voice. And I see so many or so few people, I should say, actually doing the voice, at least in my generation. The younger generation is different. But now it's also a shift from people are like, why are you even doing voice text when you can do a video text, you know? And it's like, we just get so used to doing something. We, we don't ever step back. That's the big challenge. We don't challenge the assumption. We get lost in the, in the forest. Uh, you know, try not to be too cliche here, but it's, it's interesting that sometimes we're our own worst enemy. We always talk about people process technology. People is still the biggest challenge. Yeah, I could see that. I'm just, I'm thinking about some of the habits that I've had to break or change, you know, things like, when personal computers first came into existence, learning to compose on computer versus composing with 
paper and pen, it's a very different process. And you have to you have to think differently to be able to do it on a computer. Then I got so used to doing it on computer, I can't do it on on paper anymore because it's it's a different way of doing it. it. It is. It's it's actually funny you say that because I like never handwrite anymore. You know, I got a, a tablet ten years ago, and so I've never had to handwrite notes. <laughs> so like now, if I try to write something, it's super messy because I'm out of practice. Yep, me too. I can't read my own handwriting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the first is to challenge challenge your assumptions. What's what's next? So once you've done that and you start thinking about your ideas, you kind of have to understand difference. You have to put in the context of what you're trying to accomplish. So you know, like all good consultants, start with the end in mind. How does my idea fit into whatever problem or opportunity I'm trying to take advantage of? And I need to vet out that idea because I may not have the deep domain experience might be things about the market I understand or sometimes about the customers I don't understand. So I I kind of have to go through this kind of refined process. And, you know, I've seen too many folks, too many consultants in particular, not do that. They fall in love with the idea and they, they see, you know, they see the value, they see the numbers, but it's not quite the fit, right? It's, it's kind of like, you've kind of got the general shape. You've got to polish it down. What's a good example. So interestingly, there's a, you know, a group of, you know, researchers that decided they want to start a startup and they were very into STEM and they had dozen focus groups. They created these toys, uh, STEM toys to teach kids about basic science concepts. And their tagline was inventing inventors. And they thought it was really cool. Right. And it'll help kids get good jobs. And they went into the I-Corps program through the National Science Foundation. And I was actually their mentor. And they, they thought they had a billion-dollar company. You know, and they talked to their friends and stuff. They had a great idea. The, the way they had set the whole thing up was kind of disruptive. I mean, comic book as a manual, all these types of things. But the part we have to do in I-Corps is Steve Blank's business model canvas. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk to 100 customers. They were shell-shocked by the feedback, right? The first customer they talked to, it was like, you know, STEM's nice, but it's not the most important thing. You know, another customer, well, it's a $50 toy. And they're like, don't you want your kids to have a good job? Everyone, of course, is going to say yes. By about the 20, 25th customer, they realized they had a huge problem on their hand, right? That most parents didn't care about the STEM piece. That was not the most important reason to buy the toy. I thought actually one mom put it really well when she said, like, if I'm going to spend $50 on a toy – you better keep my son occupied long enough for me to do the laundry uninterrupted, right? And the problem was they never vetted their idea out. Well, they had a great idea. None of them were actually parents. None of them had kids. The friends they talked to didn't have kids. You know, these little focus groups and the some of the parents they talked did, did talk to early on were close friends, you know? And, you know, that's going to be biased information. And as a result, they realized they had a whole miscue in their idea, in the market, the setup, the message, the value propositions. They ultimately wound up junking the the venture rather than try and pivot. But that's the big challenge is that, you know, sometimes we think we know the customer really well and we might not. We might know the market really well. We might not. Just like Starbucks saying, we made over 5,000 stores. We know how to do this in China. And it's like, well, you don't and you've already failed once. You've got to understand different. Right. And the only way you're actually going to know that you're you're creating something that customers want is when they pay you for it. Yep. 
Okay. What's the next step? The next step is create different, mm-hmm. which means that once we've done this, how do we actually make this into a real product or service? And I'm a big proponent of not reinventing the wheel. So what kind of tools do we need? What's the approach? Kind of what's the overall implementation plan to make this a reality? So this is a little bit more standard kind of build stuff, if you will, right? And it's obviously, you know, a ton of work. But the next step is, I think, where people stumble the most, where it's like, be different. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? Be different means you actually have to ingrain this into your DNA. So whatever disruption you're coming through with, you got to create the buy-in internally and externally. You know, unfortunately, it's not that I built this really great thing and they're going to come. It never works that way. I mean, history is littered with products that were superior that failed to their competitor products. Like what? Well, you know, I'm dating myself here, but, you know, you look at back in the day of VCRs, you know, VHS beat Betamax. Yeah, that's a good example. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe I'm dating myself too, but it, it, yeah, that, that's a great example. Yeah, and for people who may not be familiar, the quality was much better on Betamax. You know, it was superior in a lot of ways, but VHS did a few things, you know, that Betamax can only record like two hours max. VHS, you could record two hours, four hours, or six hours, depending on the quality. And back then, if you wanted to record a movie on TV, they were like two and a half hours plus. So you couldn't get in there, right? And then VHS formed strategic partnerships. Right. So they got some of the key studios and stuff on board. So they had a much better product catalog. So it, it doesn't matter how awesome you make your product, it may not be successful. I mean, look what happened to BlackBerry, right? They were the original smartphone and they decided to emphasize security and all these things. And people really wanted ease of use. And that's why, you know, you had the iPhone and the Samsung Galaxy wind up overtaking them. Yeah. Yeah, I can think of tons of examples. So that's be different. And then you have one more step, right? One more step, which is own different, Uh which is you can do all these things, but if you don't build the infrastructure to be successful, it's not going to happen. You know, that might be writing a white paper, might be a saving social media campaign. But I look at Tesla, right? Everyone talks about why Tesla succeeded with electric cars where most other people failed. It's not so much that they helped improve battery design and made the cars lighter. It's that Tesla went out and built the infrastructure. They went out to go get charging stations. They went out to the retailers, all these places, and negotiated not just for spots, but prime spots in front of stores and shopping malls to put these stations. And then they created you know, the, the app so that if you owned a Tesla, you can use this app to find the nearest charging station. They took away a big reason for people to say, no, I I don't want to go through an extra hassle to charge up my car. Tesla went out and built the infrastructure so that it was doable. So, yeah, I love the way you have this kind of broken down into a handful of steps. And I recognize these are not necessarily easy to go through or easy to implement. You really, um, it takes work, it takes knowledge, it takes skill and expertise to do it. I do want to talk a little bit about how, in particular, a very small business, I'm thinking about a consultant or a coach who has her or his own business, how they might be able to, in addition to being able to use this framework for their work with their clients, how can they tap into it to be able to improve their own business? 
Well, I've I've put together some basic kind of workshop sessions on how to do this. So little little snippets and like five minute chunks, so people can understand how they can use and apply this for their own business or for their clients. I'm actually also in the process of writing my second book, that's around Tuckbo, that shares in a little more detail how you how this whole framework works, how you can apply it, and all these success stories where it's actually been used. So you'll have to stay tuned on the book front, but I'm I'm trying to empower people because we live in a time where change happens faster and faster, and we all know there's a lot of stuff that we can do, and it's all about helping people tap into that potential, which means you know everyone says, hey, you just got to think differently, but no one ever tells you how to do it. I want to give people the tools on how to do this. Sounds great. And Neil, how are you thinking differently about your own business? You know, I'm constantly trying to reinvent myself. So I'm constantly putting Tuckbo to use in my own business and even my own personal life at times to find opportunities. You know, real real simple example, but what I'm very proud of is the United Nations. I'm very big about social good. And, you know, the UN is one of the slowest, most bureaucratic organizations out there, but I'm a big believer in social enterprise. And actually applying Tuckbo is actually able to help convince the UN to start the AI for Good initiative. Wow. So imagine this big bureaucratic organization has this little piece inside that's like super entrepreneurial, fast moving and disruptive, but all for a good cause to make the sustainable development goals a reality. That sounds great. Well, Neil, we've covered a lot of ground today. If somebody wants to go deeper with anything we've discussed or access any of these resources that you have or get in touch with you, where's the best place for them to go? They can come to my website, which is just my name, neilsahoda.com. Or you can also follow me on LinkedIn. I'm very actively posting and sharing stories, tips and advice. And you can always you message me through there, as well as the same with Twitter and Instagram. Sounds great. Well, I want to thank, thank you for joining us today. Neil Sahoda is a master at thinking differently. Thank you, Neil, for joining us on Smashing the Plateau. Hey, David, thanks for having me on. I had a blast. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mention on the show. Today, we learned how consultants can use a framework to help their clients think differently and how they can use the same framework to improve their own business. Remember to subscribe on whatever platform you listen on and leave a review if you can. And remember, when you support our sponsors, you help us bring Smashing the Plateau to you for free. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.